0: Today we're going to continue tonight on the parable of the sower. Now, I know a couple weeks ago I talked about this, and we talked about the hard soil or the soil of the path, and when we talked about stony soil. Last week Jared talked about the thorny soil a little bit. I watched it online, and I said, okay, i got to do this again because he took it a different angle than I wanted to take it. So it's okay. He's, he's his own man. He can do that. Um, so I'm going to talk about the thorny soil tonight. We're going to talk about what does it mean to have thorns in your heart? What does it mean if, if your, your heart has thorns? Many times as I've, I grew up in church, you know, we, I've been in church my whole life. I mean, we memorized Bible verses from a time I was old enough to talk, you know, and went to Christian school and went to Christian high school and always went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and then I became a pastor and went to church every day. So, I mean, but I've listened to literally thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons. And many, I've listened to hundreds on the parable of the sower. And many times the impression you get when you talk about the parable of the sower is that it's about someone who is not a christian and then the word of god comes and then they become a christian. But the fact of the matter is what I really uh, what I believe another application, not that that's not true, but another application of that would be as a believer you can have hard soil as part of your own heart even being a believer. You can have an area of your life that you've said, Jesus I give you my heart except for this part because this hurts too much, right? You all know what I'm talking about? Or you could say, Jesus, you can have my heart except for this part because I really like this sin and I can't let you into this room in my house because this is the part that's reserved for me and I can't let you into that room in my house or in part of my life. Or it could be, I can't let you in here because of of what I'm ashamed of over there. Um, So there's lots of reasons why there's different types of potential for different types of soil in our own hearts. And one of the things that's super, I guess, important as you look at it is the thorny soil is always the one where I go, it's the one that has three different explanations. The others are like, okay, you got hard-heartedness. The one you got stones in your life. But in this particular one, it says, you know, these are the ones sown among the thorns. It's Mark 4, 18. These are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things choke the word. It, one one Definition of this could be it crowds out the word, it crowds it out. Many times, if you have a tree, how many got you know that this time of year, most trees grow what I've always thought were called bleeders. You know what I'm talking about? Those little things that grow off the branches, and they're other limbs or growths coming off, but they're they're stealing nutrients from the rest of the tree. So what, we, what I used to do when, when I was a kid, and I worked on a farm, and I trimmed blueberry bushes, we would always make sure that we cut off the bleeders, because we don't want to use nutrients for the plant to be used in building these extra branches. We wanted the nutrients to produce blueberries, Right? So, But they all take nutrients, they all take moisture, they all take from the trunk whatever they need because it's their only source. So you have to knock off all those bleeders and you have to make sure that's how you get really good healthy fruit off your, off your trees or bushes or whatever it is. And those bleeders, but the other thing we also did is we cultivated between the rows of blueberry bushes, right? because why would we do that? Because you don't want that silly crabgrass and all those weeds taking up all the moisture and the nutrients out of the soil to grow all their junk and then not have, and then have less available for what you're actually out there for. So they would put herbicide and they'd send us kids who were the grunts, they'd send us out with hoes, a hoe, you know what a hoe is? H-O, a hoe, H-O-E, actually. Um, it's this thing that's a sharp thing and you you go like this and you go between the bushes and you cut down because that the cultivator can't get those because it's between the bushes so he sent all us little kids out there we were their grunts and we would go and we would make sure that all the weeds that were between the bushes got taken care of and cut down why because they're all stealing nutrients moisture and necessary things to produce the good blueberries. It's stealing it all from the real purpose, all these other things. But then we would go into fields that they were letting go of. They were just going to end up pulling up the bushes because they were mature. And we'd go there, and it was like a jungle in this place. It was like, literally, it was like, what lives in there? Because I can't hardly walk through. There's so many weeds And we'd go in there, and there's barely any fruit on these bushes because why? There was so much other stuff, whether it was some kind of weed, some kind of plant, everything but a blueberry bush was growing everywhere, and it was overtaking the whole thing. And they allowed that to happen. Why? Because they were going to cut them down and replant the next year anyway, so they didn't worry about it. But that is really kind of the picture that I'm looking at here when it comes to thorny soil. It's not just thorns. It's being crowded out. The, the, the good plant, the good word, the good seed is being crowded out by other things in your life. Hmm, let's think about that. What are some things that could possibly crowd out the word in your life? I'm going to ask you to, give you know, just... Sh- Somebody raise a hand and shout it out. What are some things that you think maybe could crowd out God's word in our lives? Anybody? Say it loud. Hobbies. Everything except for golf and fishing are awful. I get what you're saying. Hobbies can crowd out the word of God in our lives. Tim. Hurts. Maybe I've been wounded, I've been offended. Offense, hurts can crowd out the word of God and really choke out what God is saying to us. Anybody else? Those are a couple of really good ones. Yes, sir. Some kind of music that draws your heart away from God. Absolutely. Yes. The internet in general, specifically any social media, can chew up all your life, right? Yes worry, ding, 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 that's a good one, worry, worrying about other things, worrying about what shall I eat, what shall I drink, what shall I wear, right, I mean, Matthew chapter 6 talks about that, and I saw somebody with their hand up, the negative news, or anything on television, (laughs) would, would qualify there for sure, yes, oh boy, Keeping up with those nasty people named Jones. Now, if your name is Jones, I'm not really talking about you. It's a phrase. Keeping up with the Joneses can really divert your heart's attention off from what's important. And the Bible says in this verse, it says, The cares of this life, even putting your children above your relationship with God, can crowd Jesus out of your life. Right? Moms? Possible? Maybe if you have four or five little ones, under ten, that'd be a tough deal. Making time to spend with Jesus when everybody needs mama and they need mama? No! Right? Or dad, trying to make sure that all the bills are paid and the grass is mowed and all those things that are stuff that you have to do. It's all the cares of this life can crowd out God, right clean out of your life to the point where you hear God's word and you go, yeah, yeah, I hear that, but you don't know what I got going on in my life. Yeah, okay, that's true, but you don't know what's happening in my world. But the, the reality is we've got, to, we've got to stop and say, okay, how is it that we can be saved, we can have made Jesus Lord of our lives, but yet have these areas of our life that we're, we're not letting him into this area of our life because of the worries and the cares of this life. It says, the pursuit of other things. One translation says, the desires of other things. And they make the word of God unfruitful. I'm going to go there right now I'm going to step on somebody's toes, hopefully. How many of you know that I like to step on people's toes in a godly way? So if your toes get stepped on right now, talk to God about it. And that is desires for other things or sensual desires. Maybe it's looking at improper things on the Internet. Maybe it's watching improper things as movies or getting enjoyment out of things that are not wholesome or not godly those things they're thorns and they entrap you in your life and they literally make the word of god of no effect they make they make it unfruitful in your life so the thorns when when i was a kid and even now still i like to hunt i like to go out in the woods I go out there. Tim's a lot better hunter than I am. He always gets big deer. I, I never do. I've never shot a big buck, so pray for me this fall. Hopefully, I'll shoot a buck. But I always get a doe, and we get meat, but that's kind of lame. He gets these big, massive, you know, things, and I go, I have buck envy, but it's okay. Um, I forgive myself right no. I repent, but... <laughs> But the, the, the point, I like to hunt, and I like to go out in the woods. I really enjoy just sitting in the woods and just enjoying early morning. You get out there at an hour before daybreak. You're sitting there. You watch the sun come up. You watch the mist come off the floor of the, of the woods. It's just glorious out there. It's cold sometimes, sometimes rainy, but it's still good no matter what. It's good because you're out in the woods, and my phone doesn't ring. So I'm like so peaceful, right? But sometimes when you shoot something or you're tracking something, you have to go off the trail and then you end up in the middle of these nasty things. And literally, I've done this where you're walking along and you're going, okay, I think I see some, some sign over here and we're going to go this way. And you're going, all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a patch of thorns and you're like, oh, everything hurts at once. You got stuff stuck into your legs. You reach down to take the things off your legs and it gets stuck in your arms. And the more you wiggle, the more stuck you get because those thorns are there. And then when you come home, you got thorn, little triangular little dudes all over and you have to sit, spend hours picking those things off your clothes. But the thing is, those thorns can literally stop you right in your tracks, I mean, I get to that point and I'm like, okay, I'm going to back out of here because this is not good. And that's what it's like. It says the thorns make the word of God unfruitful. You don't get fruit when there's a bunch of thorns covering the thing. That's not a place to say, oh, I'm going to go pick an apple out of here or I'm going to go get some strawberries or whatever. It doesn't happen because they don't grow there because things don't grow in thorny soil where there's a bunch of thorns. The key is here, one of the important things is what makes the word of God of no effect, worries, cares. One thing that we didn't talk about was the deceitfulness of riches. Chasing money. If you're willing to sacrifice your integrity to make money, you're in bad shape. Okay? You're in trouble, because you're gonna you're gonna do things that are going to make the word of God of no effect in your life, because that's a thorny thing. That's that's a thorn deal. It was when you when you say, well, it's okay, because I'll give God some of the money. No, He don't want your money that's gained by improper or cheating. Let's put it that way, or things that are dishonest. That's not where God goes. The deceitfulness of riches convinces people that that as long as you're making money, it's okay. And that's not true because doing illegal, illegal things can make you money and it's not okay. So the deceitfulness of riches, the other part of deceitfulness of riches is that when you get a measure of financial success, many times... A lot of times, I've been doing this a while and I've been around a lot of people, some of them have been pretty successful. And the common thing that happens is you get a measure of financial success and then what happens? You begin to think that because you got some financial success that you're somehow a genius in that you're smart in every area of your life just because you're able to make money. And then you end up getting full of, Maybe self-confidence instead of Christ-confidence, right? And you end up being filled with pride. It's the source of pride. And then you end up, what happens next? Pride comes before a fall. Then you end up falling. Why? Because money is deceitful. If you, if, you, if you put your confidence in money, you're going to end up deceived because it's the deceitfulness of riches. Money deceives you into thinking that if you just had a little more money, you'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. Money seems to think that if you had a little more money, you'd have peace. No, you wouldn't. Oh, I could sleep better if I had more money. No, you wouldn't. See, money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep, right? It can buy you food, but it can't buy you nutrition. I can buy you something that's nutritious, but it can't buy you health, It could pay for the best surgeon in town, but it can't buy you health. It can buy you medical care, but it can't buy you health. Because money is the number one false god. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Riches tell you, if you just had more of me, you'd be a more important person. But our significance doesn't come from the balance in our checkbook. Or our our investment portfolio, the the significance of our lives is does not is not derived from the influence that we peddle, whether that's politically or economically. That's not where we get our significance. We get our significance from our submittedness to Christ personally. That's who gives us significance. See, but the, the deceitfulness of riches is that this is what gives you significance or makes you important. It's simply a lie. So the tradition of men can also cause the Word of God to be of no effect. If you have a tradition, it can, if you have some tradition that you grew up in, if that tradition is not found in Scripture, it can make the Word of God of no effect in your life. I remember... I'm just going to be just super transparent so y'all don't judge me. When I was growing up, my dad, who was a godly, good man, had an area of his life that wasn't good. Now, he's in heaven now. He's forgiven. He's with Jesus. He's with my mom. They're both in heaven, all right? But when, he, when I was growing up, I watched my dad look at other women all the time in front of my mom. It was, I didn't think anything of it. He would look at the waitress's rear end when she walked away. Sorry if that's offensive, but that's the truth. It's what, how I grew up. And my mom would sit there and drop her head. My dad was a good guy, but he had an area of his life that wasn't submitted to Jesus. He hadn't allowed Jesus into that room in his house, if you will. He just said, and he always told me as a kid, it's all right to look as long as you don't touch. I got news for you, it ain't all right to look. And yet, no, you can't touch, except for mama, okay? And that's only if she says okay, so. (laughs) But the point is, having that tradition in my life caused me all kinds of problems in my life because it was a tradition, it was something that I thought was true Because I learned it from my dad. I love my dad desperately. I thought he was the best guy in the world. And I thought, how could he be wrong? But you know what? He was wrong. And when I came to Christ and and Jesus put his finger on that area of my life, I went, oh, okay. And I had to submit that area of my life. See, but because that was there, it was making the word of God of no effect in my life in that area of my life. So you need to really, I would encourage you, implore you, look into your own heart and say, Jesus, if there's areas of my life that I haven't allowed your word to penetrate my heart, and if if I'm believing a lie, see what my dad told me wasn't true. He didn't mean to lie, it's just that's what he thought was true. He believed that. And it doesn't mean he went to hell, okay? But what it does mean is that the word of God was of no effect in his life in that area of his life because he didn't allow the word to go. He had thorns growing over that area of his heart. He had a thorny patch in his heart. And because of that, the word of God did not help him and it did not grow and produce fruits of righteousness in his life in that area. So it can be as simple as that. You were told something when you were a kid You were told you believed something and it's just simply not biblical. It's something that's a tradition of men. So it says, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, how about worrying, somebody said worry, worrying about how am I going to provide? Worrying about how are my kids going to turn out? If we just sit there and let that play over with scenarios in our heart. If that's where we allow our, our mind to go, rehearse the worst possible, worst case scenario. If we allow ourselves to do that and you just let that replay in your, in your mind, the word of God is not going to have a positive impact in your life. You're going to have a thorny area in your life. You know, things like, even what Jesse DePlantis is Mom used to say to him, he, he says this in his, in his messages, he, he says, his mom used to say to him, she, this is when he was a kid, she'd say to him, you're just a little devil, you'll end up in jail. And I'm like, wow, don't say that to your kids. But, but even worrying about money, worrying about what's going to happen, worrying about whatever it is you worry about or whatever you think about. The Bible says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Roll one translation says roll the care of this over onto him cuz cuz sometimes I think I think of the word cast your care and I'm thinking this thing's too heavy to cast it. I'm going to have to roll this puppy off me, right? I'm going to have to just roll it off cuz it's so heavy, I can't hardly move let alone throw that thing. I'm going to have to roll it off of me. And But it starts with casting or rolling the cares that you have upon him and not allowing the worry to take a part in your life. Not allowing worry to consume your heart. As we look at this, as we look at the pursuit of wealth, worry about what other people think about me. Worry about what other people say about me. That's a big one. Many of us, including me, care about what other people think. I care a little bit less than most people, but what they think about me. But the, the, the reality is we do care about what other people think about us, especially people that we respect or esteem. And if we worry, and it's, if, that's, if we get consumed with worry about what other people think about me or what, whatever think, people think about you, you're going to make the word of God of no effect in your life because you're so focused on what others are thinking, you're not focused on what God is thinking about you. You know, there's, there's truth we have to get to in this, that the thorns of worry, the thorn of pursuit, of, of significance in some way other than Jesus are all sources of thorns in our life. No matter what we have, if it's not you, Jesus, it's nothing. Whatever we have, if it's not you, Jesus, it's worth nothing because he is the source of life. So as we look at this, what is the, what is the way that we do this? How do we, how do we establish our hearts to the point where we say, Jesus, I don't care. I'm not going to worry about what others think about me. I refuse to worry about money. I refuse to worry about what or how are my kids going to turn out. I refuse to to worry about what my future holds. The apostle Paul and this is the message bible in it's the message uh, paraphrase I guess you'd call it it says here that this is the Philippians 3 starting with this was a tough one cuz they don't have verse numbers in the message. It says here, "We can list what many think are impressive credentials." This is the apostle Paul talking, Philippians 3 starting with verse 5 or 6. There's no verse numbers in the message, so you got to forgive me. It says, "We might start with a list of what you may think are impressive credentials." This the Apostle Paul, you know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherence to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law, the very credentials that these people are waving around as something special, I tear them up and I throw them out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, my master, firsthand, Everything I once thought I had going for me. You gotta understand, Paul was the man. He was trained under Gamaliel. He graduated summa cum laude from Harvard, baby. Okay? That was Paul. He says, Everything I thought I had going for me. He had a PhD in economics from Harvard in our world. He says, Everything I thought made me significant is insignificant, I count it as dog poop. That's what he said, sorry. I've dumped it all in the trash so I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I don't want to have some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from me keeping a list of rules. When I can get a robust kind of righteousness that comes only from trusting Christ God's righteousness. I gave it all up, all that inferior stuff, so I could know Christ personally. I could experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I was willing to do it. He sold out. He threw away everything he had going for him to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, I've counted it all as dung, which means that manure pile out behind the farmer's house. That's where he threw all of his credentials. His Harvard diploma, he threw it in there. He didn't worry about it anymore. Why? Because he had found something of greater value, and that is to know Christ and to f- have fellowship with him, even in the fellowship of his sufferings, that he might obtain the resurrection from the dead. Because he found something that was more important than achievement in this life. This achievement in this life, there's nothing wrong with achieving. There's nothing wrong with getting summa cum laude from Harvard if you want to. That's awesome. But bring Jesus with you. Don't do that instead of Serving Jesus, don't do that. Instead of seeking Him and giving Him your life, do it while you're giving Him your life. So, how do we how do we go forward? How do we rid ourselves from thorns? How do we become fruitful? We're gonna land the plane. How do we do that? By remaining in Him. John 15. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. Because I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown on the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, how do we glorify God? We glorify God by remaining in Jesus. And if we remain in Jesus, then we will bear much fruit. And, we, we, and when we bear much fruit, that gives glory to God. Say, God, I want my life to glorify you. Then remain in Jesus. Then focus on his word. Then cast aside the things that are distracting you. Turn off the television. Put your phone somewhere where you can't find it for a while. Lock it up in the microwave if you have to. Don't turn it on unless you want a new one. But you've got to decide that you're going to seek him. And you're going to seek him first. We sang songs tonight about seeking him as the one thing, as the primary thing in our lives. And that is, my friends, that is how you abide in him, is by seeking him and continuing in his word, not just hearing it, not just praying a prayer on Sunday, and then living like the devil the rest of the week. That is not abiding in him. Abiding in him is every day. God, what's, how, do I, how do I navigate this situation, Lord? I'm your child. I'm your, I'm your sheep. I ask you to show me, lead me, guide me. I have ears to hear, and I have a heart that can turn and be healed. Lord, show me what, sh- what I should do. Lord, walk with me. Give me favor in this situation. Continually communing with God through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, and abiding in Him, that's how we bear much fruit. See, if you abide in Him, you know what happens? All those thorns that are there, they become kind of like they just, they're gone. Because why? You're abiding in Him. And when you abide in Him, you don't worry about how you're going to pay your bills, You say, Lord, I got these bills. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) I cast the cares of these things on you. Lord, these kids you gave me, man, they're about ready to drive me up a wall. What do we do about this? Help me, Jesus, not to be so frustrated with them. Help me not to get angry at them. Help me not to snap at them. Lord, help me. Walk with me every day. Walk with me. Lord, this person's bugging me. Help me. I mean, it, it's not that we don't have trouble, it's that we share the trouble with him every day, and not only every day, but every moment of every day. You say, well, how often do you pray? You know, how often? About 30, 40, 50, 60 times a day. Do I ever pray for hours on end? Rarely, but I rarely go hours without praying. Most of my prayers are a few minutes and then we go forward but it's a matter of just staying in constant contact with the master that's what it's about and if you'll stay in constant contact with the master doesn't mean you have your walk around with a bible in front of your face all day you put the bible in your heart you store your word have i hidden in my heart that i might not sin against thee that's how you, you, you hide it here, and then he activates it, and then you go forward, and you can walk that way. But that's how we bear fruit. And when we bear fruit, we glorify the Father. Father, that you be glorified in me. See, when you're in a position of need, it's so tempting to try to solve it yourself. I'm going to make this work. I'm smart. I can do this, right? Right? But what he's asking us to do is when you're in a position of need to humble yourself and say, Lord, show me what to do. Walk with me. Open doors for me that nobody can close. Make a path for my feet to walk on. Help me walk in your ways. Help me to glorify you. Help me to bear fruit so I don't become like a whole patch of thorns that's no good for anything but to be burned down and start over, right? That's our goal. Our goal is to bear fruit. So our thorns, we've been talking about that. What are your thorns? What are our thorns? Another type of thorn that could be there would be a thorn of just unbelief. You hear God's word and you've never heard this particular thing. And maybe you're, you're in a situation and you don't know that God has a promise that specifically covers your promise. And you don't know that God has an answer for you. That's a, that's a common thing. But yet, when you hear God's word, it can overcome that ignorance or that thing that you don't know. And then there's unbelief that comes from natural circumstances. You, you hear a scripture that says, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, Philippians 4.19. And you say, how can that work? I mean, what do you mean my God's going to supply all my needs? He's going to drop money from heaven? No, that's, God's done into counterfeiting. But he does make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way, and there is a way that God does provide for our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And it's a matter of when you look at the natural circumstances and you look at God's word, many times there's a big gap. Anybody ever, ever had that experience? You look at my situation and you look at God's word and God's promise and they're like, yeah, this don't jive, right? These are not the same. I'm over here. God's word's over here. What's up with that? And what we've got to do with that is we've got to not deny that this exists, but really realize that this is truth and this is merely circumstances. And we've got to go with the truth and trust God that 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 is the truth and that he is going to supply our needs. That by Jesus' stripes, we were healed no matter what it looks like in our lives. And that's where we've got to overcome it with the word. Our experience is not what determines what's truth. I'll say that again. Our experience is not what determines truth. God's word is true. Whether our experience reflects the truth of God's word or whether our experience doesn't reflect the truth of God's word, God's word is still true. Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Many times people get confused by that verse and they begin to assume that because a good outcome was achieved, that therefore it was God's will. Anybody ever experienced somebody saying that? Well, this must have been God's will because when my uncle had cancer and he was in that room, we were able to lead that guy in the bed next door to us. We were able to lead him to the Lord and he, he went to heaven because we were there and we wouldn't have been there if, if Uncle Joe hadn't had cancer and therefore God must have uh, gave my uncle cancer. I got news for you. God don't have no cancer to give. And God, don't confuse outcome with origin. Be careful not to confuse outcome with origin. The truth of the matter is, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the devil would kill all of us if he could, but by the grace of God, he can't. Okay? We have authority, and he's, Jesus has given us authority. The devil is defeated. He's a defeated foe. He's a lion that roars, but he don't have any teeth because Jesus pulled out his teeth. He roars like a lion, but he can't devour you unless, of course, you let him. Okay, So you've got to realize that just because something good happened, when something awful happened in your life, God was able to turn it for good, Do not make the mistake of of thinking that somehow God caused this awful thing to happen in your life because God didn't cause it. The devil sent it to kill you. And Jesus, because he is greater than the devil, has been able to turn even what the devil meant for harm, he was able to turn it out for your good. But don't blame God. Don't, Don't have this attitude that, well, God did this because and somehow make up some rule or make up some idea. My brother was killed when I was five years old. He was killed in Vietnam. Got shot while he was over there as a 20-year-old kid. And my pastor at the time, I was five, I remember it like it was yesterday, all the awful things, the cars came in, the guys in the dress green uniforms, the two guys showed up and the rule is if two guys show up and they're dressed in green, your, your son died. That's the way it works. At least it worked back in the 60s. They came to my house and they, they sat there and I watched my dad just get destroyed by that. And the pastor sat there and told me, well, this was God's will because your son struggled so much because my brother was a hellion. He was arrested. He rowdy, getting drunk, crashing cars. That was my older brother. And he went to the army, he went there and got killed a year later. And my pastor actually said to him, "Well, your son struggled so much in his life. The Lord must have had him, must have took him to keep him from the life that he was going to live after he was back here." <laughs> That's what I say to that. The devil killed him. That's all there is to it. We lost that one. Now, the good news is my brother got saved over there before he got killed. And he was actually the assistant chaplain in his unit. And that's why he was traveling on night recon, because he was there to help the chaplain with that battalion. God did not kill him. If my brother would have come home, he'd probably be a pastor, okay, because he got saved. He'd probably have been a pastor. So that, what that pastor said, we forgave him. But what he said was baloney. And that's the nicest word I can say about it. Okay, That was not true. Now, him being over there and being in that bad situation forced him to reevaluate his life. It, the pain of being over there and watching his friends get killed caused him to reevaluate his life, and he gave his life to Christ. But in no way, shape, or form did God's will provide for him to die over there, being shot by the Viet Cong. That was not God's will. And for him to say that to me as a little kid wrecked me for a lot of years. It just completely wrecked me. I didn't trust God. I thought, you son of a gun, you're going to kill me too? Bring it you know that i i got really really nasty for a while because i was just mad kill my brother pfft, that was basically what i thought about god christian school memorizing bible verses i didn't give a flip because i had this thing where i don't trust god i don't trust you look what you did he turns his life over to you and you kill him what the heck So those kind of experiences, I'm speaking from experience here. I'm speaking from the part of my own life that was intense pain and a wrong belief. So when I learned that God is good and he doesn't bring these things on you, I got saved. And I I was like, wow, that's who you are. You aren't this mean person that sits up there with a fly swatter and if we don't do just right, you're going to squash us like a bug. That's not who you are. And I understood that he was Father God and that he loved us and that there was a good plan that he has for us. So whenever someone comes and starts telling you that, well, God did this because, I would just say, be careful. I would just say, be careful. It doesn't line up with the character of God. Because if you don't have a correct evaluation of the character of God, you will not have a correct evaluation of your circumstances. If you know the character of God, you'll hear what that pastor, if I had had a better foundation, I was a little kid, but if even my parents believed it, but if they had had a better foundation of truth from the word, they would have said, are you kidding me? You think God killed our son? You're out to lunch. You can leave now. That's what I would say if someone said that to me. I'd say, you can leave. You're free to leave my house now. Please go. Because that is not my God. My God does not uh, kill my son. Now, my son might might do something bad. Something bad might happen to him. That's fine. There is a bad devil. There is a world we live in, and people have a free will. So I'm not saying that if you give your life to Christ, you're never going to have bad things. Because there is a bad devil, we live in a fallen world, and painful things happen every single day. But let's not confuse the outcome with the origin. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So you'll never resist something that you think is God's will. So if you see something that kills, steals, and destroys, resist it. Resist it like it's an armed bandit trying to hurt your family. Resist him steadfast in the faith and you will overcome because the enemy is not as powerful as his roar sounds. But as we get our lives founded on the word and if we abide in him, as we abide in him, we get strong. As we abide in him, we produce fruit. And then that's where the, the, the joy is that's where the reproduction is that's where you get you get your relationship with him solidified i guess i would say this as a closing as you look at your own life and as you've heard the words that i've said i pray that god put some life and puts some together in a cogent fashion so it can help you navigate when things don't seem to make sense. When things are sideways and it doesn't look like how could God be in this? God can be in it from a redemption standpoint without being in it from an origin standpoint. Just Just because the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy does not mean that Jesus hasn't come to bring life and bring it more abundantly. See, every time you look at a thing that kills, steals, and destroys, resist it. Curse it. Tell it to get out of your body, get out of your house, get out of wherever you are, because that's the devil. Anything that kills, steals, and destroys, it's the devil. It is not God. Resist it steadfastly and then turn to Jesus and abide in him. Go to his word. Find the scripture that applies to your situation and write it down. Keep it in front of your eyes. Put it in your heart. Keep it in your mind. Always respond with the word, because you know what? Every time Jesus ran into a situation, he responded with the word and the devil ran away. So if you respond with the word, the devil will run. You'll send him packing. And that's what we want to do today. Send the devil packing. So. I guess I would just like you to think about a couple things as we part. I would just want you to just bring this home with you and say, Lord, are there any thorn patches in my life? Are there any rooms in my life that I have not allowed you to come into? Is there anything in my life that I'm, I'm reserving from your presence that I'm hiding? Do I have a stash of something? that nobody knows maybe you have a stash of something that you're holding on to i'd say bring it throw it in the manure pile maybe you're holding on to your education maybe don't Maybe you're holding on to, that's what brings me value. Maybe you're holding on to the money that you have. Oh, that's what brings you value. Realize the only thing that brings us value in this life and the life to come is our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. So whatever it is in your life, I encourage you to, this is something for you to do in your own prayer time. God, what is it? Is there anything in me? Test my heart. See if there be any offensive thing in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Like David said in Psalm 51. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, it feels like we've been all over the place tonight, but I ask that you would just apply this word, apply this salve to our hearts. And let it be healing. Let it bring, breathe life into our hearts situations. And where there's been wrong thinking, we repent from that wrong thinking. Where there's been wrong doctrine, we repent from that wrong doctrine. And we look at your word as truth. Above our circumstances, your word is truth. And Father, as we abide in you, we will produce much fruit and we will bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.